Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And flexing his hashtag dad brand in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. Man, you couldn't have said any more perfectly. Uh, hashtag dad brand. Uh, it's fall break for, uh, for the coach. So we have morning practices now, and we're just getting ready for our next opponent, which actually is a pretty winnable Winnable contest, so uh, looking forward to it, and uh, looking forward to a great show. Lots to talk about. Yeah, I know you guys ran into a buzzsaw last week with Ravenwood, but that was kind of to be expected. So hope you guys can uh, at least take uh, some good stuff out of that game. I know you guys, your defense stood strong for a couple quarters there. So, yeah. But uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who definitely appreciates a good biscuits and gravy. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, yeah, had a uh, little brunch action Sunday, which is rare for me because I normally uh, like to eat a little earlier than that. My day started, but it's back, when, back when we lived together, you would always sleep well past brunch into the lunchtime hour. So I, I'm surprised well, you were even awake for that. Turn over, turn over a new leaf. I know, I know. Uh, as have I. It's amazing that I wake up at 5:30 every morning now, but. Um, well, week six was a pretty crazy week between Hurricane Matthew battering the East Coast and some big games out West. And, uh, you know, a, a couple intriguing Big Ten matchups in between. There was a lot of great college football action, so let's get right into it with some quick slants. Josh, you're up first. Yeah, my first one is the uh, the Minnesota-Iowa game, and I noticed something very weird with Minnesota and um, I think I know why their offense is lacking some of the pop. And uh, as we know, Tracy plays when he got the interim tag removed. Uh, one of his first maneuvers was hiring the offensive coordinator and made a really, really good hire with Jay Johnson, who was awesome as the OC at Louisiana Lafayette, had you know, Terrence Broadway, who racked up uh, an average of over 2,500 yards per season and rushed for over 600 yards on average uh, each year that he was there. And Mitch Leitner's strength is running. So I'm trying to figure out why it's not clicking. And I think it's either Johnson is not letting him run or Clays is telling him not to run. And so I've got some impressive numbers here. I got out the old calculator and, and did some arithmetic. So he's averaging uh, eight rushes a game this year. And last year he was at 8.3. Uh, but that was a lot, much larger sample size over the course of the season. Um, when Michigan or when Minnesota won a game last year, so just their wins, he averaged 9.3 rushes. And in 2014, when Minnesota went eight and five and five and three in league and was a win over Minnesota away from the Big Ten title game, uh, Leidner had his most yards, carries, and rushing touchdowns. And in their Big Ten wins that year, so in those five Big Ten wins, he averaged ten and a half rushes. Um, or excuse me, he rushed for ten and a half uh, over the entire season. But in those big, five Big Ten wins, he had eleven point two rushes. So he's over three rushes less per game. Minnesota needs to just not worry about him getting hurt and say, "Son, we do best when you run the ball." I think if Minnesota does that. They can figure some stuff out because their defense is pretty good. Their offense just has no pop right now. Josh, you are going deep into the stat book this week. I love it, especially considering that you hate watch that entire game. <laughs> and, uh, the, the fact that you've obviously been reading uh, reading up on a little either pro football focus or something like that uh, makes me really appreciate it. All right, Coach, uh, your first slant. All right, well, my quick slant is going to 
it's going to be a, a roundup of the Southeastern Conference, uh, a topic that we're going to get into probably here in the show. I think, Josh, you brought it up and wanted to do. Um, LSU, Florida, their game was postponed, and the makeup date is uh, still in the works. Um, Tennessee and Texas A&M is a game we'll get to here in our uh, – in our play action or deep roots or whatever we want to call that segment. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start it with here. I'll start it with uh, Alabama, Arkansas. And I think that might be yeah, a game. We're, we're, we're going to be getting to that a little bit, uh, a little bit later as well. So I, I, I won't waste too much of my time getting into that one. So uh, I'll start in Starkville, Mississippi, where uh, the uh, Auburn Tigers came to town and uh, boy, they were unwelcome guests. They got out to a 35, nothing lead in the first half. Uh, they took that lead on into halftime, came out. Mississippi State decided they wanted to join the game a little bit, so they, they got on the board. Uh, they, they scored 14 points in the second half. Uh, they won 14-3 to three in the second half. Unfortunately, they were down 35 to nothing to start. Uh, Cameron Petway, 39 carries, 169 yards, three touchdowns. Sean White didn't do a whole lot but wasn't required to do a whole lot. He was 14 of 18, extremely efficient for 204 yards and a touchdown. Uh, defense chipped in with a strip sack return for a touchdown. Montrevious Adams getting himself on the scoreboard there. Auburn continuing their domination and making Josh's uh, putting them in his top 25 actually look better and better each and every week. So they're four and two overall. Yeah, about, about time one of those teams came through for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then uh, the pillow fight, the, uh, the conference pillow fight, Kentucky hosting Vanderbilt. Uh, it was a pillow fight indeed, but Kentucky is actually starting to kind of kind of turn it up a notch, and they're playing a lot better football. Um, they're playing a lot better football here uh, of late. They they improved to uh, 500 mark overall, uh, as well as 500 in the uh, in the conference at two and two. They win 20 to 13. Uh, Ralph Webb for Vanderbilt did go uh, right at 100 yards uh, for the Commodores, so he was their lone bright spot. Steven Johnson was 10 of 24 for 49 yards. Uh, not much getting done through the air. Um, I'll give you some team stats here um, if I can find them. Um, here we go. Here's the team stats right here. Uh, total yards, Kentucky had 307. Vanderbilt had 282. Uh, so it's pretty pretty even contest as far as total yards. Uh pretty much a pillow fight here. Uh, but Kentucky, the difference in this game, Kentucky rushed for 258 yards. They got it done on the ground, and that was the story of, of this matchup. And then uh, another game that I'm going to get to that I watched on Sunday very closely uh, and some observations from that game, uh, a game that was postponed by Hurricane Matthew uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, the, the Gamecocks hosted the Georgia Bulldogs in a very important SEC Eastern matchup. Um, Georgia came away with a 28 to 14 victory. Uh, but the story of this game really is Georgia getting it done on the ground and not so much through the air. Jacob Eason, the wonder boy, if you would have told me that this was going to be his stats and we were going to win by two touchdowns on the road in a place that Georgia does not play very well, I would have told you you're crazy. But Jacob Eason went five of 17 for 29 yards and a touchdown. He, he did throw an interception as well. Uh, Sony Michelle, 21 carries, 133 yards. He was the leading rusher. Nick Chubb, 16 carries, 121 yards, coming back off of an ankle injury. Brian Harrion, nine carries, 82 yards, uh, receiving. Uh, not much done there. The leading receiver was Isaiah McKenzie with two catches for 15 yards. He did score a touchdown, however. Um, so if you look at these team stats, you know, uh, Total yards, 355, and uh, 326 of those were rushing yards. Time of possession, Georgia dominated that, 35 to 24 minutes. Uh, turnovers were the key to this game. South Carolina had three. Georgia just had one. Uh, the offensive line, they, they've, they've come ready to play the last two weeks. I mean, the rushing attack is, is really improved. Uh, the defense has come ready to play, and, and that's, that's kind of more attributed to more physical practices. You know that saying, you, you, you play like you practice. That, that was true uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs here. Um, but I don't want to completely discredit South Carolina. Um, they, uh, they, they, looked, they, they looked a lot better than I was expecting. Uh, Debo Samuel 
looked like a man amongst boys. It didn't seem like anybody was able to tackle him. I don't know why they didn't go to him more often. Perry Orth, 26 of 36 for 288, had a pretty good day. Uh, unfortunately, not good enough. Uh, and the defense, it played well at times, but, you know, you look at those rushing statistics and you have to temper your uh, comments there and say, do you really think they played all that well? But at times they played really well, but at times they just got gassed in the run game, and that was, that was the big difference. So uh, very good very good game for Georgia Bulldogs. It, it keeps them in the race for the SEC East. So, Yeah, uh, actually, well, speaking with the, uh, with, with the East, uh, Josh, you, you know, I know you want to talk a little bit about that uh, – postponement of the Florida LSU matchup, which doesn't seem to really have a potential date. So uh, I know you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, it just, it it was frustrating hearing some of the comments coming out of the LSU athletic director. They're talking about how, you know, Baton Rouge was hit by that flood. They need the money of that soft home date. Um, I believe it was on the 19th against a out of a conference team. Um, I think it's an FCS school, honestly. And then, um, and it just it didn't make much sense to me because LSU was already a part of precedent with this, where um, South Carolina played a game in Baton Rouge, where Baton Rouge then gave the proceeds of the game to. South Carolina to tell, you know, Columbia not lose as much of the autonomy. Um, but, you know, Gainesville was just hit by their own natural disaster. And the, you know, Florida, if they wanted to, could do the same thing. They could pay LSU to help mitigate some of that cost. But I also find it hard to believe that a state capital, you know, loses as much as the AD is bringing up by just missing one home date. And that doesn't even get into the competitive issue where, you know, if Tennessee loses to Alabama like we all think they do and they have two conference losses and Florida manages to run the table and just have one conference loss but it's to Tennessee but play one fewer game and, you know, that's – you know, whatever, that's somehow the tiebreaker goes to Florida. I mean, Tennessee is going to be irate. So we have a conference title race at stake, a potential college football race at stake for what I can tell is very petty reasons by an LSU athletic director that, um, to be honest, the way he's handled the last miles, they're not surprising that he's being classless yet again. Yeah, that's uh, it's unfortunately not a surprise at this point. Well, um, I'm going to flip over from uh, the most powerful conference to my favorite conference, um, uh, that obviously being the American. So for my first slant. And so I wanted to start uh, actually with one of the biggest upsets over the weekend, which took place in Annapolis, where the Middies beat the number six Houston Cougars 46 to 40. It was a wild one out in Maryland's capital. And even though Greg Ward had a spectacular day for the Cougars with 463 total yards and four touchdowns, the Cougar defense was not able to start uh, Navy's option attack. The game really turned in the third quarter when the Middies scored on their opening drive to start the half and followed that immediately with a pick six to put them up by 14. Navy quarterback Will Worth definitely earned his keep, rushing for 115 yards and a touchdown and adding two more scores through the air on a really phenomenal stat line. Three for five, 76 yards, two touchdowns. So <laughs> 66% of his completions went for touchdowns. Um, it was really a pretty, pretty fantastic win all around for the middies whose game this coming weekend at ECU is actually canceled because of hurricane Matthew and is going to be rescheduled for later in the season. Elsewhere in the conference, Memphis picked up a big win on Thursday night over temple 34 to 27. Although Owl quarterback Philip Walker threw for 445 yards, he had two interceptions, including a pick six late in the third quarter that put the Tigers on top for the first time in the game. Temple was clearly the better team in most facets of the game. Uh, they outgained Memphis 
531 to 323. But they also, I mean, they held the ball for uh, 12 more minutes than Memphis did, but they had three turnovers to Memphis's one. And that was really the big difference in the game. So coaches, you know, always uh, got to be cognizant of, uh, you know, turning over the ball or not turning over the ball, I should say. Uh, uh, otherwise, in the conference, Tulsa won a barn burner in overtime over SMU, 43 to 40. UConn beat Cincinnati 20 to 9 in a really ugly game up in stores. And finally, a uh, game I, actually I was watching on Saturday in the middle of the hurricane while I was in Raleigh um, is South Florida beat uh, ECU. Um, and this, this Pirate team, which we all love, you know, looked really good at times, but stalled out on a lot of their drives. And so they ended up going for four field goals in the game. Uh, they, you know, go, getting into the red zone every single time, but having to settle for field goals, making three of those four. And that was really different. They couldn't get, um, they couldn't really get anything going uh, offensively in the red zone, which really plagued them throughout the day. Um, you know, it was for uh, the Bulls of South Florida, it was really all about their two-headed attack in the backfield with quarterback Quentin Flowers and running back Marlon Mack. Uh, you know, Flowers had 250 yards and three touchdowns in the air to go along with more than 100 yards on the ground. Mack had over 150 on the ground with two scores as well. And at this point, uh, South Florida definitely looks well in control of the Eastern Division of the American. But with the, their upset over Houston, the West is really wide open. Navy's out to a quick 3-0 start in conference uh, with both Memphis and Tulsa being 1-0. Houston, obviously 2-1. I definitely can still consider the most talented team in this uh, you know, obviously in their division, but they are now behind the eight ball and have to hope that Navy loses against either Memphis and or Tulsa later in the season so that um, they can, you know, split a tiebreaker with them. So, uh, Josh, off to you for your second slant. Well, my second slant is so quick that I just wanted to touch on Houston briefly. Uh, yes, go for it, man. I think if they win out and win the American, they still have a shot. And I know it's not a great chance, but just thinking about... Well, they have that big game against Louisville, and I think that's going to go a long way to determining what happens for them. Exactly. And Oklahoma's in the driver's seat of the Big 12. So let's say say Clemson falters and Louisville wins the ACC. Oklahoma wins the Big 12. You're telling me an 11-1... Houston team that has twelve and one, assuming yeah. they win the uh, conference title. So a twelve, you're telling me a twelve and one Houston team with wins over the ACC and Big Twelve champ doesn't have a shot at the tournament? That's crazy. So yeah. a lot of football love, especially um, with, with with that offense and Greg Ward Jr. still putting up big stats and someone who's going to be considered in you know on the shortlist for the Heisman. Exactly, exactly. Um, so my official quicks second quick slant is. Um, we know Rutgers lost ugly, um, but it's always nice in an unfortunate game like that to see someone working really hard. And so I just wanted to give a shout-out to Justin Goodwin. He's a senior, local New Jersey product, had a really impressive freshman year as a running back, and then just sort of got buried in the depth chart the rest of his time there. But he's returning kicks. And he had 175 yards on nine returns. That's a pretty respectable uh, 19.4 average. But he had a long of 38, and that's actually more yards on that single return than Rutgers' offense had all game. And so, you know, when they're watching this game tape, the coaches, and they're looking for a silver lining, I would put out Justin Goodwin. He, he's, the coaches said in the offseason that he's worked his tail off. He was a 2015 all Big Ten academic member. Uh, so I applaud I applaud that kid for, for continuing to show some fight in a game that was long since over. Yeah, rough couple of weeks for the Scarlet Knights, but the worst of their schedule is essentially behind them at this point, especially with Michigan State faltering uh, a couple times over the last few weeks. You know, that they've faced the two toughest teams on their schedule, and so hopefully uh, for them they can get a little bit more going. Coach, what you got for your second slant? Well, my second slant uh, is, is kind of one that is, is a conference I don't really touch on very much is the, is the Pac-12. And it's a team that I've really started paying attention to a lot lately, uh, the, the Washington Huskies. Uh, they kind of, 
they they've definitely got my attention because they play a brand of football that that I'm starting to kind of get behind. Uh, Chris Peterson is somebody that I really, uh, as a coach, just kind of admired while he was at Boise State uh, and doing what he was doing there. He's he's essentially taking that to a Power Five school now, and and you see you see where that's getting them. Uh, over the weekend, in case you've been living under a rock, uh, they've the last two weeks they've completely dismantled Stanford and did something to them that I, I don't think can ever be done to any other football team. They put them in such a funk that it's uh, it's going to ruin their season. Uh, they snapped a 12-game losing streak to the Ducks this past weekend, um, and they did so in uh, an exciting fashion. They won a they won a nail biter uh, this weekend at Autzen Stadium. Uh, the nail-biter was uh, it was 70-21. to 21. It was, it was, I was sweating it out a little bit. Um, I, I flipped back and forth between this game because I am intrigued by the way, with, by the way Washington plays. I was watching A&M Tennessee um, and watching that barn burner for, for the longest time. But uh, every once in a while, I flip back to this game. And, and some things I noticed is Jake Browning is the real deal. Uh, he threw for 304 yards and uh, six touchdowns. Uh, Dante Pettis and John Ross – uh, chipped in with uh, with some of those touchdowns. John Ross making some impressive catches, and Dante Pettis doing the same. Uh, both of those receivers are are, are top class. Uh, they're all Pac-12 type receivers, um, and and it seemed like they were in a competition to see who could make the uh, more spectacular catch. Miles Gaskin ran for uh, just shy of 200 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and this team defensively just looked dominant. They were forcing turnovers all over the place. Oregon speed. Uh, couldn't overtake this defense. This defense was ready for it. Uh, they were just they were all over Oregon uh, every play. Oregon had to work really hard to get those 21 points, and it was just, you know, the defense just kind of had their way with the Ducks. The offense kind of had their way with the Ducks, and it really was just an overall domination. Um, and I've never seen Oregon, uh, and, and I didn't watch Oregon prior to 2002 and they had Joey Harrington, uh, but I've never seen a I've never seen a team that's been such a great program the last ten years just get dominated like that uh, and get dominated in that fashion. It's kind of embarrassing. And I went on the, I actually went on the Oregon message boards a little bit today, and they were talking about firing uh, Helfrich in the middle of the season. So uh, things are getting bad in Eugene, and uh, things are getting really good in Seattle. So very impressed with the, with the Huskies there. I just wanted to kind of go a different direction with my quick slant, uh, a direction that I don't normally go, uh, but uh, it's a direction. And uh, on a side note, uh, uh, another reason I really like Washington is because they're the only other team that that can correctly spell dogs. <laughs> um, I, I've never really seen a team that can, that can correctly spell dogs yet, um, yeah. except for Georgia. Yeah, well, actually, uh, your, your slant – perfectly leads into mine because I'm going to be talking about the other team from the state of Washington who had a great win over the weekend. I uh, just want to know one, a couple quick things from that game that you just talked about coach. First of all, uh, you know, Washington managed to keep Royce Freeman to 50 yards. This is a guy who had been leading the conference in rushing coming into that game, and they were just able to contain him. He had run one run for 22 yards. Otherwise, he had, you know, 10 other carries for 28 yards. So that was – And he's not just some bum. Uh, no, Royce Freeman, he's, Royce he's an all-conference guy. He's, a, he's an NFL guy. Um, obviously, Oregon starting a true freshman, Justin Herbert, uh, in this game. Uh, and he was definitely confused by that Washington defense. Two touchdowns, uh, one pick, but, you know, a QBR uh, under 20 was pretty rough for that game. They were also fumbling all over the place, so not exactly the best look for the Ducks, who are uh, two games under 500 and starting out 0-3 in conference, uh, which is pretty surprising. But staying in the Pac-12 North, um, I want to look at a reeling Stanford team that lost in our it's a trap game from last week um, with uh, the Pirate uh, Mike Leach leading his Wazoo squad uh, down to the farm from the Palouse, absolutely dominating the Cardinal 42-16. to And quite frankly, I'm not entirely sure what to think of the Stanford team at this point. Uh, on the one hand, you've got Christian McCaffrey who, you know, left the game in uh, – the second half, but still, you know, this guy is absolutely a singular talent in the game right now, but uh, the usually powerful Stanford offensive line looks completely out of sorts. Um, But I also think that some of the issue is the play calling. 
He only had eight carries and one reception before he got taken out of the game um, and three relatively uninspiring kick returns. That's 12 touches of the ball for a guy who, you know, you would think with how skilled and talented he is, this is a guy that should be touching the ball 35 times, 30 to 35 times a game. And in more than one half, he touched it only 12. That's uh, not a very good sign. I'm not quite sure what is going on there, but David Shaw really needs to address that. I think that a lot of the issues stem from the offensive line and, uh, you know, shuffling a lot of guys around due to injury, but still you expect them to put in, to put Chris McCaffrey in a position uh, that will allow him to excel. And, um, you know, I mentioned that he had three, uh, relatively uninspiring kick returns, and that was on a lot of opportunities that the Cardinals got to return because, quite frankly, they could not stop Luke Falk and that Cougar offense. Falk went 30 for 41 for 200 for 357 yards and four touchdowns, with a lot of it going to senior wide receiver River Crackcraft, which is a great name that I just kind of wanted to say. But he had seven catches for 130 yards and a score. Uh, so, Coach, you mentioned that Washington team, the Apple Cup this year uh, is probably going to be uh, the game that decides the Pac-12 North and who gets to go to uh, the conference title game. So th- uh, that's the last game, regular season game of the year for both of these teams. And quite frankly, no one can stop either of these teams right now um, on offense. So that is going to be an absolute barn burner and might turn out to be one of the best games of the entire season. Um, but Josh, uh, you know, you texted me the other day saying that Stanford is one of a handful of teams that you really can't get a good read on. And I was curious, you know, what do you think their problem is? Well, they don't have any of their corners. And I know a lot of teams like to pride themselves on the next man up mentality, but um Let's face some hard facts. When you're Stanford, you have such academic rigors. You're not going to be terribly deep. And to lose both your starting corners in a league that has gotten more and more pass happy, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. And um, I, I'm just wondering if this is going to be one of those unfortunate lost years that some teams have when uh, when the injury bug just decimates them. And we'll be, uh, we'll be sleeping on Stanford next Next summer when we do our preview show, and we'll be talking about, like, oh, Stanford got killed this year. And then, you know, if they go, they have a healthy run of things next season, they'll, they'll probably win 9, 10, 11 games again. Yeah, yeah I, don't think, I don't think Stanford is one of those type programs that you have to really worry about as far as whether or not they can maintain it long term. They're just having, a, you know, they're just not very deep and they're having a tough year right now. So that's the only difference, really. There's no need to hit the panic button just yet. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll see about that going forward. But it's time for us to move into our uh, second segment, our play action, uh, looking at some of the biggest games from the week. And one of those, uh, Coach, that you mentioned earlier, was Alabama's, uh, you know, very solid win over Arkansas in uh, Arkansas, 49-13. to 13. So you're our SEC guy, uh, Coach. So, But from my eyes, it looked like Alabama just out Arkansas at Arkansas. And especially with uh, Minka Fitzpatrick having himself a game, three picks, including a 100-yard-plus pick six, that really sort of uh, you know, uh, turned the tide permanently in favor of the tide. So uh, what are some of your thoughts here on that game? Well, uh First for the losing team, Arkansas, I thought Austin Allen had a tremendous game, 25, 48, 400 yards, three touchdowns. I thought he had a good game. But he had those three but, picks. That but was- three picks. I mean, he, he threw for a lot of yards. And I still thought, you know, I I, I think it was more of just Minka Fitzpatrick having himself a ball game. Uh, the the one pick that he made that he that he went 100 yards for, he made a good play on it and came, came across and, and – uh, just snagged it. It seemed like he came from from out of nowhere, snagged it, and ran out of the end zone and scored. But uh, there was one there was one drive that got called back. Uh, they had an easy touchdown called back for holding, and they ended up getting uh, just three points on that one. It was in the second quarter. Um, but uh, the story of this again is Mika Fitzpatrick and just the day that he had defensively three interceptions, just a pretty much single handedly won this game. Uh, 114 yards in returns scored on that. Uh, if you look at the rushing stats, uh, Damian Harris, 13 carries, 122, uh, with the average of 9.4 per. Jalen Hurts, 13 of 17 for 253 and two touchdowns, did throw an interception. 
as well. Uh, had himself a ball game. Uh, Joshua Jacobs chipped in, second leading rusher, three carries, 57 yards. Bo Scarborough, seven carries, 56. And then Jalen Hurts had eight carries of his own. He scored twice as well. So Jalen Hurts, a one-man wrecking crew. Defensively, Minka Patrick, a one-man wrecking crew. But, you know, Alabama played Alabama football, and they, you know, they got back to kind of what Alabama does, um, and they just just exerted their dominance over Arkansas for the most part. And, uh, you know, this Alabama team is just proving year in and year out that they don't rebuild, they reload, and it doesn't matter who they lose. So a uh, very impressive victory, uh, to say the least. But, uh, you know, this this game was going to come down to who won the trenches, and Alabama won the trenches. Josh, what do you think about this? Well, I mean, Coach is obviously the SEC guru, so I don't think I can add too much. But just one thing that I noticed in uh, looking at the stats from this game is, uh, you know, Brett Bielema always enjoyed using tight ends at Wisconsin. Uh, last year they had Hunter Henry, who won the Mackey, so he's continued that trend. And just um, – you know, I don't know if it's if it's talent or player development or or uh, now with the new quarterback uh, Austin Allen, if he's just not seeing the tight ends as well. But um, you know, Jerry, Jeremy Sprinkle just three receptions, and uh, the young gun, the, the freshman Austin Cantrell had one. Um, you know, I'm not sure it would have made a difference, but it just kind of reinforced something that I've noticed that. It just feels like this Arkansas team doesn't have the identity that we normally associate with a Bielema coach team. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that you know, you know, Arkansas likes to bully people, but you can't bully Alabama, and that is that. That's sort of the real big issue that they had. And then they tried to get cute. I think down near the goal line a couple times, and that ended up backfiring. Obviously, with the think uh, with the Fitzpatrick pick six. So, but, you know, going forward, I still like this Arkansas team a lot. And I think that they're going to, you know, win most of their games going forward, um, especially as, uh, you know, teams have, you know, more attrition as the year goes on. They are, you know, they've got a lot of uh, big hog mollies, no pun intended, obviously, for the um, for Wu Pig Suey over there. But, um, you know, they've got a lot of hog mollies that can really, you know, um, dominate you in the trenches. And as the season goes on, you know, that should play more and more to their advantage. Well, let's flip over uh, to uh, the ACC where uh, Florida State um, upset Miami, I guess you would say, at least by the rankings, 20 to 19 in what ended up being one of the better games of the weekend. So, uh, Josh, uh, what was the key for the Knowles here? Well, the key for the Knowles is they found uh, found their defense finally. This is a team that has a lot of defensive talent. They just weren't quite putting it all together, and Miami's offense just wasn't able to do the things that we've seen Louisville and, and North Carolina do. I mean, just look at you know the week to week comparison. Brad Kaya, a, a very very talented quarterback, nineteen of thirty two, two fourteen, two touchdowns and a pick. Flip it around, Mitch Trubisky or Trubinsky, excuse me. Uh, four over four hundred yards, three touchdowns, played clean, no turnover. Uh, in the rushing game, Miami had twenty eight carries for just sixty two yards. Um, a lot of that was negative fourteen yards, but by Brad Kaya, but uh, it didn't help that Joseph Yerby and Mark Walton had thirty nine yards each. Uh, one needed ten carries to get there; the other needed fourteen. It's a pretty bad average. And a week ago, North Carolina, uh, their stud, Elijah Hood, was bottled up a little bit. He had 47 yards. Uh, but T.J. Logan ran wild, 77 yards on 10 carries. The Tar Heels as a team had over 130 rushing yards. So I, I think this is all about Florida State's defense finally finding a way to uh, to keep themselves – in a game against a good offensive team. And then obviously the, the special teams came through at the end with the block point after. Yeah. Coach, uh, you know, you've been pretty critical of DeAndre Francois so far this season, but I would submit that he had one of his better games of the season. Yeah. I mean, he's growing up. I mean, uh, I, I will admit that I was, I don't want to say I was wrong about him, but no, you definitely weren't uh, wrong about him. But he definitely grew up a lot and, and you saw him mature 
even throughout the course of this game. I mean, 20 of 31, 234 yards and two touchdowns against what would con- some would consider a very good Miami defense, a defense that had been playing well to that point. Um, I thought he was very poised. I thought he just looked very comfortable out there. Um, and even though they got down early, it just never looked like never looked like he was panicking. Uh, and, and that's just part of the maturation process that he's been going through. And, uh, I, I, you know, he started to become the quarterback that I thought he could become. And is he all the way there yet? No. Does he have much, much room to improve? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I thought he had a very tremendous game. You know, Dalvin Cook, again, uh, just showing that you can lean on him anytime you need to. Uh, 27 carries, 150 yards. Uh, just Florida State just finally got back to playing Florida State football, and they seem like they finally got a lot of their confidence back, which is good. Yeah, and you know, speaking of Dalvin Cook, he had that. He only had one catch, but it was a big one. He's coming for 59 yards, going to the house. So, you know, another game over 200 total yards and a score for Cook. He was my preseason pick for the Heisman. Uh, you know, obviously with the Knowles already having lost two games, it's going to be kind of tough for him unless he gets a lot of big, big numbers going forward. But wouldn't count him out just yet. So... Um, let's uh, keep it rolling, uh, head over to the Red River Shootout, where, uh, you know, Charlie Strong's seat is getting hotter and hotter. Uh, you know, Oklahoma won this game 45-40 to in Dallas. Baker Mayfield had himself a nice game with 390 yards and three touchdowns. Um, Samaje Pirine, uh, you know, huge game on the ground, 35 carries, 214 yards and two touchdowns. And, you know, this is um, – you know, outside of the aberration last year when Texas won the game, this has really been, you know, Oklahoma's, uh, you know, game to lose, uh, it, it seems, you know, over the last decade or so. Josh, what are some of the things that you saw here in this game? Uh, well, one thing I noticed that is interesting is the uh, the final made it look like a really close game, but but actually Texas got bailed out with some some weird stuff. Oklahoma – uh, had an impressive drive stall right at the start of the game and missed a point, missed a field goal, so they came up with no points there. Uh, and then Texas got a field goal on a very short field set up by a interception that if the ref had not been taking a nap would have been a pass interference. The Texas guy tackled the receiver, and that's why the ball was, was picked off and had a long return and, and let – Texas get those three points. So, you know, there's a swing of kind of like six points, but knowing Texas's defense, if Mayfield didn't have those two interceptions, they probably would have ended in points because Texas can't stop anybody. Uh, so I think this is one of those games where the, the score is really not indicative of how thoroughly whipped one of the teams was because you mentioned those stats, Matt. P. Ryan could do no wrong yesterday. Yeah, P. Ryan and, was an absolute beast yesterday and, and, uh, on Saturday. And Mayfield was was in a zone outside of one pass that got away from him and one that was an interception because of a, a missed call. Um, it was it played out like we expected where the Horns have no defense. Yeah, uh Coach, you know, do you think it's fair that Charlie Strong is, you know, now for, again firmly atop the hot seat? No, I, I think it's fair. I mean, you, you you bring in a guy that's that's a defensive guru, and I mean, you look at the stats week in and week out. I mean, they their defense is atrocious. They they're a mess. They look they look lost. I mean, it just looks like that Charlie Strong is not fit to handle a program like Texas and all the pressures that go with a program like Texas. I mean, you know, he did well at Louisville, but it's Louisville. Uh, they are nowhere near the caliber. And, I'm not, and I'm, not, I'm not saying Louisville's a bad program. I'm just saying the things that go around being a head coach at Texas, you're not just a coach at Texas when you're the head man. You know, you're pretty much like the president of that state. And those people are very hard on you. The, the pressure is, is there. It's, it's definitely – something that will make you age at least 20 years. You look at Mac Brown, he looks about 80 right now. And, you know, and, he, and he was widely successful there uh, winning a national championship. I mean, I hate to see what Charlie Strong is going through. And, you know, it just, it just not, he just wasn't ready for it. They weren't ready for him. 
do I think he got a fair shot? Not all the way, but, you know, he, he did have some time to produce. He didn't produce. And if you don't produce at a place like Texas, you got to go. Yeah, you know, one, a couple, you know, a couple or one highlight, at least for the Longhorns, should be their freshman wide receiver, Devin DuVernay. Uh, three catches for 81 yards, but sprung a big 63-yarder for, uh, for a touchdown. And he was one of the guys who, after everything came out uh, from Baylor, decommitted from Baylor and ended up committing to Texas. And, you know, is ending up being, you know, one of uh, another freshman, Shane Bouchelle's favorite targets. Bouchelle, you know, big, basically 50% on the day, 19 for 36 for 245 yards. He had three touchdowns, only one pick. But, you know, they also had uh, you know, a, a couple issues when they were running reverses. They had uh, two reverses, one to Dorian Leonard, one to Gerard Hurd, which combined for negative 29 yards, and that is not a good way to go. So uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, D.D. Westbrook for Oklahoma was a man among boys. Ten catches, 232 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, those are the kind of ga- games that, uh, you, you know, you tell your grandbabies about. So uh, but let's move back to the ACC where, uh, you know, to the shock of most of the country, uh, Virginia Tech, who had not shown a whole lot this whole year, absolutely dominated North Carolina. Uh, they made Mitch Trubisky go from, you know, Heisman hopeful to, uh, you know, you know, go back to your home. Uh, Trubisky was 13 for 33 for 58 yards and two picks, albeit in a month, you know, in a hurricane. But uh, Josh, this Hokie squad, you know, showed us something they hadn't showed us for the whole year leading up to this. And what they showed us was that Fuente is a lot smarter than couple coaches, and I'm going to talk about them right here because it was the common theme in the Virginia Tech game and the NC State game, and that is weather is the great equalizer, but it uh, not only does it equalize things, if your coach is not really thinking, <laughs> uh, you're going to be able to win the game. You mentioned Trubisky, 33 attempted passes. Yeah, the rain was coming. I mean, I was in Raleigh this weekend for that uh, Notre Dame North Carolina State game. I wasn't at the game. I was at a wedding, but I was watching the game. And, you know, you couldn't walk outside without being soaked in less than, you know, a half of a second. And why Notre Dame kept going in shotgun that entire time? Kaiser's in the shotgun all day, 9 of 26, very similar to Trubisky. You need – I think one of the things that separates, um, you know – People want to know why they can't hire Nick Saban. And it's not that it's not that they can't hire Nick Saban. It's that they're not hiring coaches that are flexible like Nick Saban, which might surprise some people. But we've seen Saban adjust his offense to the strengths. Sometimes they're a power team. Sometimes they're chucking the ball around. When they're in a game where their passing is not going, they hunker down and run the ball 50 times. When there's a game where the team is loading up the box – they're willing to pass it 30 to 40 times. That's what makes them flexible. Fedora and Kelly on Saturday were not flexible. They didn't look at the weather report. Hell, they were standing in the rain. They didn't even go, hmm, maybe we need to change something up. And it bit them. I, I highly doubt, as good as Virginia Tech looked, I highly doubt they're 31 points better than the Tar Heels in a regular rainstorm, in a sunny day, on a neutral site. They're just not. But Fuente, with not much coaching experience under his belt, he had that nice run at Memphis, and now this is his first year with the Hokies. Fuente showed me that he is in the mold of a coach that's flexible and willing to do what gets the job done rather than just blind devotion to what's worked in beautiful weather. Mind you, there were 10 fumbles in this game. 10. Four four, four ended up being turnovers. But we also have to remember that North Carolina was without uh, their leading rusher, Elijah Hood. They still had Logan, who's still the best back on the field. But, um, yeah, Coach, what what did you think here? Well, I I thought, uh, you know, Justin Fuente hit a milestone here. It's his first big victory as head coach of a Power 5 school. you know, that's, that's the victory he needed. That's going to catapult Virginia Tech 
um, a little bit this year. It's going to catapult their recruiting. Uh, and it's going to set them up for next year uh, to make a run at the division title in, 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 the, in their division. So, um, you know, I, I really think that the mark of a great coach is one that can adjust. You know, you look at the guys who can't adjust, they were all losers, especially in bad conditions. Uh, you look at guys like Fuente, who just no matter what, can put together, uh, can put a win together out of, you know, you know the you know the saying, chicken salad out of chicken blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did that, and uh, you know he he made that. It was a it was a horrible day weather wise, uh, sloppy game, uh, one that probably you could argue probably shouldn't have been played, but. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it just – I was very, very much impressed with what Virginia Tech did. Uh, they're a team that, you know, kind of woke up, really, and kind of just proved, like, hey, we're, we're ranked this way. This is why. And they came out and proved it. Yeah, they definitely, they definitely proved their ranking this week. Well, two teams that, you know, in many ways, you know, proved their rankings, both deserving of top ten games, both be, being deserved deserving of being ranked in the top tens, I should say, were Texas A&M and Tennessee, who played definitely the best game of the week. Texas A&M, as most of you know by now, won 45-38 in double OT. Um, you know, Texas A&M, uh, you know, with you know three minutes to go in the game was up 14, but then, you know, Alvin Kamara, you know, uh, you know again, was, scored twice late in the game for Tennessee, who were, you know, outstanding. Tennessee, 684 total yards on this day, um, but plagued by seven turnovers. Even though Kamara had, was, you know, the player of the game with uh, 288 total yards and three touchdowns, man, Tennessee, you know, could not hold on to the ball. So, uh, you know, two, two picks by Josh Dobbs and, you know, another five lost fumbles, two of them by Dobbs. So, uh, Coach, this is your conference, so we're going to uh, go to you here. But I just want to note, uh, your boy Jawan Jennings had a pass attempt for a touchdown. So uh, kudos to him going back to his high school position. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Tennessee, the, 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 the – uh... The impression that I get was Tennessee came away. I thought they were the better team uh, because they had a chance to win despite turning the ball seven times. And when you can do that, it means you're, you're playing some really good football um, despite stumbling and tripping all over yourself. They can still manage to keep themselves in a close ball game. If, uh, if Texas A&M uh, was supposedly a top ten team, they would have put that game away. That game, They should have won that game running away. And uh, I say that because if a team turns the ball over seven times, that should be – we should be talking about how badly Tennessee got blown out and how much of a fraud that team actually is. But, I mean, it's just – they're a resilient bunch. They just – you know, it just goes back to the mentality of we're just going to make plays, and that's what we do, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to forget about the turnovers, and we're going to make plays. And, and they, they, found a way to, they found a way to keep themselves in it. Unfortunately, their luck ran out. Um, but, uh, you know, again, on the flip side, A&M jumped out and they, you know, they played really well at the start, but they just didn't really, I, I don't think they, I think they kind of stumbled into the finish line. Um, it was one of those races where they were stumbling, rumbling, bumbling, um, and they just kind of fell across the finish line, um, luckily, and they escaped. I, I say they escaped that, that victory, even though it seemed like they had the game in hand for most of the part, they escaped that victory, but, you know, Dobbs just continuing to prove that, that he's, you know, the leader that he is, you know, just getting it done, just finding a way to get it done. Uh, that defense just finding a way to cause turnovers. When, when A&M was going in to, to, to score the insurance touchdown, they stripped Trey Williams for a touchback that allowed them to, to go in and, and tie the ball game up later on. Uh, I mean, just things like that, plays like that that a team like Tennessee will make and a team like A&M is susceptible to. So uh, very impressive, uh, very impressive game. I, I thought it was really two good, two good really teams, and, and, and it, was, it was the best game all weekend. Yeah, and, you know, Trevor Knight was looking at, like, Steve Young out there um, for Texas yeah. A&M, you know, with 239 yards and two touchdowns over the air and 110 yards and three touchdowns on the ground, man. Uh, that, was, that was the most impressive thing to me for this Texas A&M team. Uh, Josh, uh, what were some of your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the turnovers really told the tale of the game that if uh, if Tennessee wasn't as good as they were, seven turnovers, they'd lose this game 65-10. to 10. Uh, And if A&M was as legit as everyone thinks they are, they should have put it away. And uh, we always, you know, we always talk about it. Every other show talks about it. And that is got to be sound in special teams. And one of the big defining moments of this game was A&M scores, kicks it off, Tennessee fumbled the kick return. And A&M scored again. A 14-point, two touchdowns in, like, a couple seconds. Like, can't do that. That that just really, I felt, crushed a lot of Tennessee momentum early. Now, obviously, they had the big fourth-quarter rally to tie it, but... Um, yeah, I mean, that was in the first quarter, but still. But, I mean, you, you dig yourself in a hole, it's really hard to come back. Even, you know, just think about the energy that's spent in that fourth quarter to score those three touchdowns, the emotional highs of it, it, it gave A&M hope and it just drains Tennessee to have to dig from a hole. It's always harder to play from behind. And I know that there was still three quarters to play out from it, but to me that that was just a, a big, big moment that if you change it, might play out differently. And it's just too bad for Tennessee that, Something like that can can happen to them early in a game. Yeah, I mean that was you know d- d- it was billed as a matchup of the week and it lived up to it. So, which was you know nice for us fans after seeing you know a couple blowouts and a couple games that you know weren't as close as we would have liked to like them to have been. So, um, well, that's going to do it for us today here on Illegal Motion. So, uh, thanks on behalf of uh, the coach, Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and on behalf of our blogger, Josh Cook from Big Ten and Counting in Chicago, Illinois, this is Matt Perkins in Los Angeles, California, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.